Hello and welcome to Mouth Off. This is the official podcast of HeyYouGuys.co.uk. Uh, my name is John Lias, and with me tonight is Dave Stipplejack, who is the chief editor of our site. Uh, via a pre-recorded message, we have Gary Phillips, who is a writer on our site. He's going to be reviewing three films, a couple that are not bad and one that's pretty woeful. Um, but you can look forward to those later. And then joining us a bit later on, whenever he can, is Brendan Connolly from SlashFilm.com. Okay, so we have a few things we're going to catch up on today. It's been kind of a crazy week for us here. Um, Gary and I saw a particular film, which we can't even talk about, although we can mention its name. We saw Kick-Ass this week, and we can't say anything about it at all. I know Dave, you and Brendan have seen it, um, but just to let you know... Uh, what I can say about it is that it is a film and we will dedicate an entire podcast to it as soon as we can because we've got a lot to say about it. Um, okay, uh, our week has started pretty crazily. On Sunday, we had the BAFTA ceremony in London. Uh, it was in the Royal Opera House in Covent Garden. It was a star-studded affair. Dave was stuck on the red carpet in the rain for most of it. And that, I was... That uh, one was right. There was no rain on that one. There was no rain. No, uh, we were okay. And they'd even put a veranda above us. So if it did rain, then we wouldn't have got wet whatsoever. Oh, that's nice. And they're taking care of you then. That's yeah, excellent. Um, and, uh, and then we've basically been going Alice in Wonderland crazy. So we're also going to talk about that because there were press conferences, premieres, screenings, all kinds of events that went on to, uh, to sort of celebrate Disney and Tim Burton's vision for Alice in Wonderland. So there's a lot to say about that, and I think Brendan and I will probably talk about that a bit later on. But Dave, BAFTAs, you were there, I was there, it was crazy. How did you find it? I loved it. Um, it was, I've, been to, I've been fortunate enough to be able to attend a couple of premieres or a few premieres, which has been great. And they're all brilliant, don't get me wrong, but the BAFTAs was a, a different sense of occasion where everyone was out there. there were, you could tell all the celebrities that turned up, of which there were numerous, and you can see all the photos on the website on how you guys, but um, all of them had a smile on their face. They were all glad to be there. They were all excited to be there, and they were all looking forward to seeing who was going to win. Because as, as we all know, this, um, the BAFTAs can lead to, or at least point to, who may win an Oscar um, next month. That's very true, and I think what's happened is um, the BAFTAs, uh, in terms of credibility, the BAFTAs have been elevated a lot, so people are not just seeing this as the British talking about films and giving out a few awards. It's actually, it is a pretty good pointer. Um, for me, the moment of the night happened very early on. Um, those of you who follow Hey You Guys and those of you who have listened to the podcast before uh, will know that we have an ongoing love affair with Duncan Jones's Moon. It was one of the best films of last year, criminally underseen, and it is just an absolutely super superb science fiction film if you haven't seen it stop listening right now and go and buy it and then go and watch it and then you can just download the podcast and listen to the rest of it but it is that good and uh, Duncan Jones won the outstanding debut award and I don't know about you but if you saw the um, if you saw the broadcast or if you, uh, you know, read it up on the on the website his speech afterwards was so emotional and it was so it was so nice to see him being recognised for something that he loves doing. So that was my moment of, of the night. It did come early on, uh, but congratulations to Duncan from, from everyone here at Hey You Guys. Dave, what do you think about that? Yeah, I second that motion. We, like you said, we, um, we were gutted that he didn't even get, um, he didn't get nominated for anything at the Oscars, um, which we think was criminal. Um, so to see him winning these awards uh, is brilliant. And he, he himself said that he didn't realise how much the BAFTA meant to him until he was stood on the stage. He got quite welled up and emotional. And uh, it was just really nice to see that, obviously, a man who loves his film, was really proud of his work, um, could you know win this award and, and acknowledge it. It was brilliant. It really was, and the thing is, I think that there was that moment when he was on the stage, and if you if you can see it on the on the BBC like iPlayer or something, go back and watch it because there is a moment where he suddenly just realised where he is, and it really just washes all over him. And it's such a nice thing to see someone who's genuinely excited and genuinely chuffed to to, to be awarded something that really obviously means a lot to him. So um, he's just started filming his new film Source Code, um, I think in Berlin, although I could be wrong about the location, but he has started filming that. I think think this week and that's going to be a pretty fantastic film so we're really looking forward to that here yeah he's definitely a director that we need to keep an eye on in the future because um you know as a debut film like that one it did so well 
Um, it didn't get recognised as much as it should have, but um, we'll, we'll, it's not the last we've seen of Duncan Jones, that's for sure. No, and I'm kind of hoping that what will happen is he'll go on to greater things and then people will go back and they'll say, um, I want to see what this guy's done before, and then they'll go back and they'll discover Moon. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And I think that that's going to be um, a really big moment for him. So um, congratulations to him. Um, the other awards that were handed out... Um, were, were some of which were quite surprising actually I have to say best actor going to Colin Firth um, was a moment where I actually stood up and, and, and clapped and that's not necessarily the done thing when you're sitting in a in a media centre in the, in the Royal Opera House when everyone's sort of tapping into their laptops but I was just so happy to see him be recognised for his role in A Single Man because yeah funny looks John so I know I didn't get any funny looks, but people <laughs> people didn't talk to me after that. But you know I don't. Um, but what it meant was that everyone expected Jeff Bridges to get it, and people are pretty much saying that the Oscar's going to go to Jeff Bridges for Crazy Heart. But I was just so pleased to see um, Colin Firth kind of emerge from you know from the shadows that he's kind of been in recently, playing Bridget Jones and you know variations on the Darcy character. To see him playing this you know this character so well and be recognised was just fantastic. So. That was that. That was one of my moments of the night. You predicted that one, though, didn't you? You thought you said that he could probably win it. Yeah, and uh, simply because the performance was just so good, and uh, and I think people are starting to to realise it uh, about the film as well that it is a really really good film, and um, I'm just really really happy that uh, that he was done that, that he was um, awarded the. Uh, the, uh, the BAFTA for Best Actor. And I think it was a bit of a surprise to him as well, but he had a best, he had a really good speech um, uh, on the night, so that was actually quite nice. Kerry Mulligan was somebody else who um, who maybe wasn't expected to win, but but did for her role in an education, and that was really, really nicely done, I think, as well. It's just so happens that two British actors, um, you know, topped the, uh, you know, topped the acting stakes here in the awards, but that was also a really nice moment as well. So, you know, I was particularly happy with that. Yeah, that's good. And then, obviously, The Hurt Locker won six, didn't it, out of the eight it was nominated for, beating Avatar to Best Film as well and Best Director. And that was a bit of a surprise. But the thing that kind of annoyed me is that in all the news reports, they were just playing shots of Avatar, saying, oh, Avatar didn't win. Uh, it was beaten back by The Hurt Locker and then maybe showing a picture of, you know, Catherine Bigelow. But um, I'm actually quite pleased that it did, that, that it won so much. Um, cinematography, I think it won for that. Editing, uh, script, which I was quite surprised about because I thought Tarantino was going to walk away with that one for Inglorious Bastards. I thought that was, you know, um, maybe a more showy script, but I think it had a lot more to do with the effect of the film. Um, whereas, you know, The Hurt Locker had so many other elements coming into it that made it a fantastic film. So, um, But I was very happy to see it kind of, you know, do so well on the night. And I'm sure James Cameron wasn't too upset. I think Avatar's still flying pretty high, isn't it? Yeah, when you're the, you're the director of the biggest film ever made, I don't think it, uh, it's not going to dent his ego in the thought. Um, but... When in every interview I've ever seen with him, he's so humble. I mean, it must he must be proud. I'm sure he's proud, and um, but you yeah. don't have to see him gloating about it, do you? He's always like, yeah, you know, I'm pleased, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think he learned a lot on uh, after winning the Oscar for Titanic and you know proclaiming himself king of the world. <laughs> I think he, he I think he learned quite a lot from that. But um, I don't think he was. I don't think it's going to affect him or his career at all not winning. And actually, it's nice to see a smaller film. Um, you know, win the BAFTA. So I was, I was very happy for that. Uh, yeah. Other awards: um, Christoph Waltz winning for Inglorious Bastards. That was, that was kind of, and it was kind of an obvious one. But his speech was really good. It was really humble as well. So, um, so that was pretty good. Uh, who else was it? Was it Monique one for Precious, which should please Brendan quite a lot. Um, <laughs> but I think that was also quite, a, quite an obvious one. Um, despite kind of you know stiff competition, but uh, I think those two point to the Oscars pretty pretty squarely. It'll just be interesting to see um, you know how Hurt Locker is going to play against Avatar in the uh, in the in the Oscars when it happens in a couple of weeks' time. So, but as an event, Dave, you 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 enjoyed being there and you enjoyed seeing all yeah, the stars. At one point, we were in the pen, and uh, I know that we get counted as press now that we do. Hey, you guys, um, like we do. Um, but I still don't see myself as press. I see myself as a film lover. And to be stood in a pen, I mean, I was uh, wedged between Quentin Tarantino, who was, you know, a foot away from me. Um, and, you know, James Cameron was coming up the carpet as well. And I, I just said to the person next to me, I was like, right, check this out, people. I'm here. There's Quentin Tarantino <laughs> and there's James Cameron in the same breath. And uh, That yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah, it was. it's, it's not going to happen many times in my life, maybe even never again. Um, but you know, I, I had a rather large smile on my face. Uh, I'm, sure, 
I'm yeah. sure you did. And we, I mean, we've got a lot of um, coverage of that night. So if you if, if you missed it, and if you're interested, sort of, um, I did a blow by blow account, um, including all of the awards and reactions to it on the website, and you can see all of Dave's pictures on there as well. So it was a pretty big night for us, particularly on the site, because we've only been going for um, just over a year, and we've always said that one of the things that we want to do is to try and get into all of the big events. But we were talking about maybe a premiere of this or a screening of that, and all of a sudden there we are at the bath. So it was kind of a humbling experience for us, and um, yeah, look forward to doing it next year that should be pretty we, good fun. we often john and i often say you know uh we, we can't quite believe we are we, we often just talk about the fact that right can you believe we're going to a premiere um like last night was alice for example i think we're going to talk about that in a minute so um just so you know uh, film fans out there anyone can do what we do you just got to make a blog get people to read it and uh, enjoy doing films i guess yeah, 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 absolutely. I have to second that completely. There are moments where I, where I occasionally break off the conversation we're having about, you know, premieres and let's say, Dave, can you believe what we're doing? So um, it's continually uh, a humble experience. So and we're pleased that you're along for the ride. So that's great. Yeah. Dave, you did mention it. Alice is uh, the biggest film that's out. It's out next week, um, but the embargoes have gone and uh, press conferences happened yesterday and premieres also happened yesterday. Dave, you were on the red carpet for that. That was a royal premiere in Leicester Square. Um, before we talk about that the fact that it was at the Odeon and the fact that we talked a couple of weeks ago about the the boycott which actually then did come to pass from Odeon um how do you think that's affected um the run-up to Alice at all well for Disney I think it's brilliant because it's you know there's that phrase no publicity is bad publicity and uh it's been on the national news everywhere you look it's talking about the fact that Odeon aren't going to show the film then the fact that View were going to show it with Cineworld who are their second and third biggest biggest cinema chains in the country with Odeon being the first um, now it seems that um, Odeon have reached a deal with Disney to allow to have a 13 week window between the theatrical release which is a cinema release and the DVD release which was what this um, fuss was all about because normally apparently it's a 17 week 17 or 18 week run between the two um, so from Disney's point of view it's brilliant from Odeon's point of view I think it's a bit egg on their faces really I mean I said it in my post, but Fanatical About Film is their slogan on their logo. But really, it's not nothing to do with that. It's all about how they're going to make money out of it. And, you know, the fact that Disney are taking away their their, their runtime in the cinema. And it's all a bit sad, really, because um, the only people that suffer are us, the consumer. Um, the fact that it's all been resolved is brilliant because it means that now you people listening to this podcast who live near uh, an Odeon cinema or a View or a Cineworld or an Empire or whatever it is near you um, are going to go and get to see the film more easily than you would have done. I mean, we had comments on the website that were saying, you know, I live uh, five miles away from an Odeon, but I live 25 miles away from a View. Um, people weren't, you know, it's a long, they can't travel that far. It's um it's just it's just wrecks the whole cinema experience for people. It does. Um, so so it's great that it's been resolved. Yeah, it is, and and I think um, it do, it may point the way to the future. I mean, if Disney are the first to do it now, I think we may see you know DVDs coming out you know within that 13 week or within a 12 week i think other studios are going to fight for that because in some ways it's a shame that the cinema chains couldn't put up the united front that they did make sort of separate deals but i guess that's down to disney's negotiation and also disney's sway do you know what i mean they've got an awful lot of um you know an awful lot of you know people and money behind them so i guess they won out in the end but um putting that aside for one minute i actually know killing it stone dead because it's dead and it's done isn't it so okay standing over the grave of that conversation dave <laughs> you were at the royal premier Premiere last night. Um, world premiere as well. World premiere. Um, I was at the press conference about four hours before that, and it was a complete farce. Um, international press conferences go on for about an hour, and um, you maybe see about ten seconds on the evening news, and that's because there's only ten seconds, or even you know, ten five ten minutes of, uh, of actual decent stuff that comes out of it. Questions asked at the international press conference, the, the world press conference for Alice in Wonderland, uh, ranged from "Did you make your own hat?" to Johnny Depp to "What do you dream about?" Uh, during the filming and I think somebody after insulting Anne Hathaway uh, then went on to repeat the question so Johnny what's it like working with Tim uh, after someone had just asked it so it was a bit of a farce really and there was nothing really that came from it I think they looked incredibly bored and poor um, poor Mia Wozikowska if that is how you say her name she was completely sidelined she had nothing to say because nobody asked her any questions it was a farce um, it's fantastic in the movie uh, you've, have you not seen it, Dave? No, I've still not seen it. Oh, in that case, I can't talk about it with you. I'll talk about it with Brendan later. I've got 
plenty to say about it. So, um, okay. So, Dave, tell us, you know, give us a bit of a report from the uh, from the red carpet yesterday. Well, so I, I'll, I'll tell you it from leaving my flat. I left my flat, blue skies. I got on the train, blue skies. I got on a tube. It was fine. Got out the tube to see raindrops. Now, everybody, John was going to go to the red carpet or green carpet, as it turned out, uh, and then suddenly asked me if I could go. I didn't know why until I walked out and saw the uh, torrential rain that we were then going to stand in for the next four or five hours. That was a happy accident, I have to say. <laughs> but um, no, it was very, very wet, but the, and that did dampen spirit somewhat. However, um, all the stars were there. We had Anne Hathaway, Johnny Depp turned up, Helena Bonham Carter and obviously Tim Burton. Um, Timothy Spall was there, Anna Rickman, Christopher Lee, you know, the list goes on, Matt Lucas, Barbara Windsor, Michael Sheen. Um, It was fantastic. It was uh, because it was a world premiere. um, They all showed up. Um, I think the only person who didn't make it was Stephen Fry, to my knowledge. Um, So it was just fantastic. Um, You can see photos from the website and a report that Em wrote from the premiere as well, because she went along to see the film. Um, and and uh, it was great, you know. Uh, it did chuck it down. We did get wet. We did get soaked, but we all had a, we all had a smile on our face because it was Alice in Wonderland world premiere. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, because they're such a heavy British influence in the cast, it's great they had it in London because, of course, you know, you could have all those people turn up. Um, one of the things that I was um, kind of re- really excited about this week was the British Library had put on a um, an Alice event which was in uh, in conjunction with Disney and it, w- it involved uh, Michael Sheen and Christopher Lee um, doing readings from from the original from the original stories and I have to say that I've, I've written a report about it on, on on the website thanks to the British Library for putting this on and thanks to Disney for sort of letting me go to it but it was kind of a once in a lifetime experience to see Christopher Lee who's looking a bit frail on his cane. He's 88 now. Which, no, I, I really can't believe it, because when he stepped behind the microphone to read the Jabberwocky, it was as if everything else, all other lights in the world just turned off, and it was all about him. And he literally grew as he went through the poem with this amazing, really rich voice that he's got. Um, I went with my wife. She said he sounded like he had uh, an orchestra, like an orchestral voice. It was just like a once-in-a-lifetime experience. So, um, you know, it, it was just so good to see such a you know variety of people. And, of course, they then turn up on the red carpet, which is which is pretty good. Uh, yeah. Dave, you have to see the film, and you have to let me know what I you know. think. I know. Don't worry. I'm going to go. Um, I, I had about three opportunities to go and see it, and, unfortunately, through various reasons, none of them happened, uh, mostly my own fault and I'll blame John John a little bit yes but, <laughs> no actually I don't think it had anything to do with John but um, yeah so no go and see it I've heard good things but um, I think Brendan and John are going to talk a bit more about it soon and with regards to what John just said about that British Library reading we're hoping that we're going to get the footage from Disney at some point and we'll make sure we go up on the website and obviously we'll tweet it and yeah it. seriously because it is it is absolutely awesome and just just the chance to hear him read it anyway is particularly fantastic but um my review of alice is up on the site so if you haven't seen alice yet and there's a good chance because it's not out until until the 5th of uh, until the 5th of march um and you don't want to be spoiled or you don't want to have any you know of my opinions in your head um stop listening to the podcast now if you're up for a bit of a spoiler and a discussion on alice in wonderland then stay tuned before brendan and i get on to talk about alice here's gary with three film reviews for your listening pleasure. Okay, um, the first film to review is Leap Year, uh, starring twice Oscar nominated Amy Adams from Sunshine Cleaning and Doubt and uh, Enchanted. And with Matthew Good from Watchmen and A Single Man, it's a pretty mindless rom-com that's predictable, nauseating and very rarely funny. Adam plays Anna, whose uh, rich boyfriend is a bit of an arse. He uh, fails to propose to her when she thought he would, so in her misery she goes to talk to her father. Um, he's played by the criminally underused John Lithgow. Um, he's got about, I think, five minutes in the film. Uh, he's probably the best bit of it. Um, he tells her of this ritual of leap year, where uh, women propose to their partners on that day in Ireland. And, of course, it just so happens her boyfriend has just left on a business trip to Dublin, so Anna heads off to do the proposing. Um, And now the clever plot twist. Um, Her plane has to make an emergency landing in Cardiff due to bad weather. Um, I mean, doesn't a plane have to fly over Ireland to get to Cardiff? I don't know. Um, But uh, the plane lands in Wales, and Anna makes her way to Ireland by boat, where she eventually meets up with Declan, uh, who is played by Good, who runs a pub uh, full of stereotypical Irish folk everywhere. They obviously hate each other, they're completely different classes, different people. 
Um, but uh, they, they eventually make a deal because Declan needs the money. Um, so he drives her across Ireland to get to Dublin in time for her to propose to clearly the wrong man. Um, do they make it across Ireland in time? Do they fall in love even though they're a completely different class of people? Did I really care? Um, it's all clearly predictable from start to finish and offered nothing remotely new or enjoyable uh, for the genre. But for me, um, uh, clearly some people are going to like it and it's all pretty inoffensive. Um, and with the star of the film being the beautiful Irish countryside, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, Leap Year is out on the 26th of February, a definite Orange Wednesday film. Don't waste your money on two tickets. Okay, next film up is Extraordinary Measures, starring Brendan Fraser and Harrison Ford. Um, you know, I, I went into this film hoping that Harrison Ford would be back to his best, and I mean, we always do. We, we love him, he's, he's hand solo, but um, he wasn't too bad in this. He, he's alright, I, I, I always enjoy watching him, but he's, he's not brilliant, obviously. Uh, Brendan Fraser is his normal wooden self, I don't think he can carry such an emotional role very well, and he seemed a bit soppy. Um, yeah, overall, the film, bit of a tearjerker. Uh, it's based on a true story, which is quite interesting. I'm not too sure how much of it was true. Um, and basically, it's about um, the father, John Crowley. He's got three kids, and two of them being diagnosed with this Pompeii disease, which normally kills the kids. Uh, life expectancy of about nine years. Um, one of the kids just turned seven or eight. Uh, so they're, they're, they're coming up to their time when they're expected to die. So, um, um, John Crowley is a successful businessman and he gives up pretty much everything. He's, uh, health insurance, all to, to raise money for, um, Harrison Ford's character, Dr. Robert Stonehill. And so they, they raise enough money, um, they start developing the drug and they start running out of money and then they get bought out. Uh, by a massive pharmaceutical company and then they get millions of pounds. Um, the drug starts getting developed and um, Dr. Robert Stonehill starts getting uh, upset about the way this big company does things and so does uh, Robert, uh, John Crowley. Um, and then one thing leads to another. Uh, they, they, they develop this drug. It's kind of successful. It doesn't cure people, but it reduces the symptoms and it increases the life expectancy of the children. So, as I said, it's a bit of a tearjerker. Um, it's okay, definitely a TV movie type film, but it's, it's not too bad. I think it's watchable. Um, I think most people will enjoy it, but definitely better than Leap Year. Um, yeah, go see it. I, I recommend it. Right, next up is Everybody's Fine, starring Robert De Niro, Drew Barrymore, Kate Beckinsale, and the brilliant Sam Rockwell. Um, Everybody's Fine was a fantastic film. I really enjoyed it. It's easily the best film out this week. Um, uh, Robert De Niro's performance is just outstanding. He, he, he was just subtle. It was just absolutely perfect from start to finish. Um, uh, basically, Robert De Niro plays this character, Frank Good, who's uh, recently widowed. Um, and what he wants, he wants to get all these kids together uh, around the table for the first time in ages. And he puts a lot of effort into it. And But one by one, they, they all call up and say, Dad, you know, we can't come, which really upsets him. So what he does, he decides to go on a, a journey. Um, um, a journey across America to meet all of his kids one by one. Um, you know, it's, it's a lovely story, and, but what he quickly finds, um, he received a lot more good news and bad news over the years from his wife. And now that he's on his own, you know, he's, he's starting to see his kids for what they really are and that, you know, they don't live these fantasy lives of perfection that he always thought they did. Um, you know, each kid adds something. I mean, they're not the biggest roles ever. Sam Rockwell's got a small role. Uh, Drew Barrymore's got a more complicated role where, she, you know, she's got this kid and he doesn't know it's hers. But he starts realising that all these problems have been there and he comes to terms with them. And it's it's a nice nice story. Um, the ending's not that good. It, you know, it's quite predictable, really. But, yeah, overall, it was a, a really, really enjoyable film. Um, definitely recommend it this is my film of the week um hope you enjoy it too
be as mad as a hatter. Which luckily I am. Uh, okay, joining us now uh, from SlashFilm.com, we have Brendan Connolly once again. Brendan, it's good to have you here. We're going to talk about Alice, and we're also going to talk about Micmax as well. Um, but I believe there's something you want to say about the BAFTAs that Dave and I talked about earlier. I think we've got to talk about the way that the BBC covered the BAFTAs, or rather didn't cover the BAFTAs. No, they time-slipped it, didn't they, by a couple of hours. Imagine that. Imagine if the Oscars were held by a couple of hours. I mean, there'd be riots. There so, would be. Uh, you can't watch the BAFTAs till they're finished. That's one problem. And secondly, loads of the awards were sort of chainsawed out. No editing, no cinematography, no sound. The special uh, award for contribution to British cinema to Joe Dunton. They didn't even explain who Joe Dunton was. Did they not? Did they do the mon- uh, sorry, Brent, Did they do the montage from from his films or anything like that? Or no, nothing. Literally saw a clip of saying. Uh, of Terry Gilliam, who was last year's recipient of the same award, saying that he was, uh, you know, going to hand the award over, and they said Joe Dunton, and Joe came up on stage, and that was it. Did they show him taking out the 3D glasses? No. Okay. You see, the thing is, we get to, well, obviously I was there and we got to see everything, and one of the things that he did um, was talk about the future of cinema and then take out a pair of 3D glasses, and I thought that, that was a really nice touch and a really nice thing to say. You know, he's still he's still on the ball and he's still kind of looking looking forward, but it's ironic they didn't have the best editing award um, on the on the main show. Um, you're not the only person to, to talk about this, and I think um, the argument against it would be um, that it would be too long which doesn't really hold much water to me, but I know I've heard some people make that, make that argument. So what would, you like, what would you like to see, Brendan, for future BAFTA coverage? I would like to see all of the awards uh, yeah. contained. I'd like to see an award for stunt people, actually, to be honest. I'm appalled that they're never recognised, never recognised by the Oscars either. These are the people who will literally die for the film. And they That's don't get it. any recognition. Okay, no, I, I understand that. And people are saying that you've got... BBC Four. I mean, this is in, this is obviously in the UK, but BBC Four could maybe do the whole thing. Um, but I think the BBC like to have their little, you know, celebrity-focused, you know, two-hour special, and that's kind of what yeah. Well, screw that. Uh, it's 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 rude, and it's against what should be the the basic underlying principles of BAFTA. I think if you've got to relegate it to BBC Four to have the whole thing, then relegate it to BBC Four to have the whole thing, and the country needs to just pull their socks up and turn over and stop just sticking to those three or four channels all the time. I think you could be right, and um, I have to say that what being able to watch all of the speeches um, that the it was many people who did the technical awards who were probably more eloquent and more thankful and humble to receive the awards, and some of their speeches I, I, I listened to, you know, more than I did perhaps you know anyone who won uh, like an acting award or a directing awards. It was. Oh, the first speech was good, though, wasn't it? It was good, I have to say. I was uh, pretty impressed by that. My favourite speech, I've already said this today, was the Duncan Jones one. That was um, that was uh, pretty good, I have to say. That was quite a moment. Quite, I quite affecting, I find, actually. And yeah. I felt very good for him. And it was nice to see him slip the... Uh, the copy of the moon blu-ray over as well yeah that was a really nice touch wasn't it so but yeah dave and i agree like big things coming from him so we're really looking forward to seeing what's going to what's going to happen next um okay so baftas aside then uh brendan there's been one film that's kind of been making most waves this week uh and that's alice in wonderland you've you had the chance to see it uh, in the same screen that i did this was about a week and a bit ago i believe or no it was a week ago tonight wasn't it it was one week ago exactly we would have been in there. That's very true, and the uh, 3D glasses were already beginning to hurt my eyes. Um, so uh, my review's already gone up on the site. Um, Brendan, I want to ask, uh, first of all, get a bit of background about Alice in Wonderland and what it means to you, uh, the books and uh, the other screen adaptations. Well, I'm from Oxford, and, and uh, this is where, you know, Charles Dodson or Lewis Carroll, as, as, as his you know, nom de plume was, um, it's where he lived and he taught. And he actually taught maybe about 200 metres away from where I teach, maybe 300 metres away from where I teach. So that's quite a... a, a, a it connects me to it in a funny sort of way. Yeah, I do yeah. feel some sort of palpable, visceral connection. And some of the scenes in the book, even in the uh, aspect that John Tenniel drew them, are recognisable around Oxford. So I've always sort of had Alice around me. And I've I got to say, I think they're my favourite book together. If you get Wonderland and Looking Glass, I think they're quite quite tremendous so i've been a, a, a long fan uh, you know fan for a very long time and there's been at least three or four film versions before that i've really really loved jonathan miller's version from the 60s in which um there are no animal characters they're still called the dodo or or you know the mock turtle but they're, but they're humans um really gets to the heart of of, of one 
one reading in the book that nobody else has ever approached, which is this is a little girl's way of referring to elements of the adult world. And it's very much about um, a child's perspective on Victoriana. And I think it's a, a fantastic film. Our American listeners will be able to pick it up from Tuesday, actually, on DVD. But in Britain, we've luckily been able to get it for a very, very long time. Is that the one with Spike Milligan in, or is that a later one? No, no, that's Milligan's in one of the ones which is costumed and which is makeup driven. This one just looks like it's taking place in Victorian England. There are no animal masks. I've never seen it. Oh, I love it. Okay, that's going on my love film queue immediately. Right now. Yeah. Actually, that's one of the benefits of, of Alice coming out. Whatever you think about the um, the, the new Tim Burton, the fact is that um, there's a lot more uh, things going on with regards to the um, to the original stories and also to the other versions that have been out. I think there have been about 20-odd versions, but I spoke earlier today about the um, the British Library uh, event that went on, which I can't believe yeah. you weren't, you didn't even know about that. Was, that was shocking. Nobody but, even told me about that. Were you shocked, John? Were you shocked? Uh, do you know what? I was thinking, well, Brendan's got to be going along, you know, if there's anyone, because I knew that, you know, that you were a big fan of the Alice books and, uh, and you know, you write for a, uh, you know, a small site, but, you know, you've got quite a few million-odd listeners, uh, readers, so... <laughs> Just a little one, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, no one reads it. Exactly. So I'm, I'm looking around at the and expecting to be there, and you weren't. And I have to say, you missed an absolutely wonderful event. And, and Dave was just that saying is. on the podcast earlier that we're going to hope to get the footage up uh, from that. And it's, 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 you know, really worth it. It's really worth it. So, okay. So Alice means obviously a lot to you. Um, to me, it was, um, it's like something Christopher Lee said at that British Library event. He can't remember a time when Alice wasn't a part of his, you know, a part of his world. Um, I didn't actually read the books until I was about 14, something like that. So they weren't uh, as fresh to me. It was the Disney version and it was um, a few other versions that I'd seen. It was, it was obviously a really well, you know, well-known story. Um, but this is the first film, film, film adaptation of it where I've, you know, had, you know, 10 years or, you know, 15 years knowledge and experience of, of the source material. So I wasn't kind of sure, you know, which way it was going to go, especially as, as it was being directed by Tim Burton. Um, who's not had the best critical you know run in the last in the last few of his films but brendan um give us a bit of a uh, you know a bit of a lowdown about how you felt about the film going into it what did you expect from burn and disney i expected quite a lot actually linda wolverton who wrote the screenplay also wrote disney's beauty and the beast which i think is probably still the second best film in their you know sal animated catalogue after um, the almost unimpeachably fantastic Pinocchio um, and I think Wolverton's very clever. I'd actually read the screenplay to this Alice a long time ago okay so I, I knew that it was a I knew that it was a sort of a sequel more more so than an adaptation. I knew how it changed I knew how much we would be getting from some of the supporting characters and how little we'd be getting from some of the others. Mm. There were changes. Definitely the first scene of the film was not in any draft of script I ever read, and subsequently the last scene played in a very different way. Okay. Uh, but I had a pretty good idea of what the narrative was going to be, and I, I was sort of, you know, more wondering how some of the elements that we hadn't seen in the in the trailers were going to look. And because I had quite a clear idea what some of the scenes were, I w- you know, I, I'd been formulating in my mind rather vivid images, and it's interesting that that um, I was almost entirely wrong in every, in every case. Not in any massive, profound way, but just in, in fine details. Um, uh, and, you know, so it still felt fresh. It wasn't like, it wasn't, I didn't feel like I knew it all before I was watching the film. Let's just put it like that. Okay, I mean, I'd be interested to sort of see how the, in, in the earlier drafts, how the last scene played out, because when when the film begins and, and, and there's Alison going to that, that party, which turned out to be her engagement party, um, that's our first look at this at this new version of Alice, at this sort of older version of Alice. And if you've got any con, you know preconceptions of, of this younger girl uh, you know, sitting by the riverbank, you know, reading as as the first scene, it kind of kills that stone dead, and it really throws you into a into a different world. I don't know how many people going into this would think uh, that it was a sequel as opposed to an adaptation. They've done, you know, in the press conference, they, you know, they've talked about it, and in uh, in you know the press release, they've talked about it. But people who don't get that kind of material, who have just seen the trailers, I wonder if they're going to think this is going to be a bang on well, adaptation. The UK trailer does actually show some of the engagement party, shows the proposition and so on. The US trailer never did. So um, I don't know whether they they thought the U- US would reject it or whether they thought the US uh, wouldn't need to be told and primed. You know, you don't know whether we're, whether they're favouring the intelligent of the US or the UK market, <laughs> or whether they're just reading, you know, different cultural sensibilities. 
But I think I think it's a bit of a masterstroke to take one of the most iconic characters of prepubescent femininity um, and reinvent her in in a post-pubescent sense. I think the film's bottomlessly fascinating in in terms of its gender issues, and I think there's all sorts of of, of fascinating stuff going on. Do you, you have think- to kind of peel back onion layers to really sort of like, you know, on one onion layer it might seem offensive and then you peel that back and you understand something else and it is and, and, then, and then you throw yourself off again and that's all. But I, I think it's, I think it's a, a fascinating work. And that's something that I think that um, may surprise a lot of people as well is the fact that a lot of the um, iconic imagery that's been presented in the posters and, and, in, and in the trailers doesn't show the darker side of... Uh, of what Burton tries to do with the film and it's interesting that the gender issues um, you know that are present within Alice um, do come to the screen in some ways but yeah but they're present in a very very different way in the book I mean of course they were we were dealing with a, with a child right? but that's it and I'm, and I'm thinking because obviously you know you've now got an older Alice that gave Burton the chance to bring something different to it and it would be interesting to sort of you know you, you can deconstruct these uh, you know any kind of Alice film as you can with the text you can deconstruct it endlessly and find yourself down a rabbit hole um, but I think uh, at, at the end of it I agree with you that it was a masterstroke to kind of bring her out of this um, you know perhaps the public consciousness is of this younger girl so you get much more of a chance to do something different with the material but actually um, you know sort of still be still be you know faithful to the source material so but okay yeah, so in, in some respects but I, I think she's done you know, a thing that I think I've always wanted adaptations to, and I always respect adaptations when they do. They just use the book as a piece of source material. Mm. It's not about it's not about creating a film of the book. It's about going, oh, that's inspired this idea in me. I'm going to make this film or tell this story. And that's very much what she's done here. And it's not the story from the books. It intersects with it, crisscrosses with it. It plays off your understanding of it, but it's just not that story. I, I think you know. I think it's going to be a, a, an easy film for people to dismiss out of hand because they're not going to go in there thinking about, well, hang on a minute, you know, what's going on with the sexualization of her as the dress shrinks and it shows more flesh and then, and then it grows and it shows more flesh at the other end and then she's making these comments about dresses. How are these all into... You know, people aren't necessarily going to be jumping in there saying, let's have a look at the, you know, gender-related semiotics of this thing. But if you, if you do... Um, uh, it does, you know, it, it yields amazing comparisons to what's always been, dare I say it, sort of like a companion piece to to, to Lolita in contemporary culture and its in its representation of, or, or, or in, in in our discussion of older men's attitudes towards young girls. Well, obviously, we yeah, I mean, Dodgson's, you know, there, there's there's a lot of history with that, and when uh, the British Library, Will Self gave a bit of a, um, a bit of a appreciation of Alice, and he mentioned Nabokov, and he mentioned Lolita, and and how the two. Um, obviously you know have uh, much um that can be looked at and can be sort of you know um appreciated alongside the other one but i'm thinking that because this is an adult or a near adult version of alice that will obviously bring a lot more to it but if you've got um tim burton who you know has his own style and he has his own way of looking at things um and has been successful uh, in putting that in his own films in the past because this is now a disney film and he said at the press conference very very candidly this is a disney film do you think that his darkness do you think that his hand is still evident in the finished film come on it's somewhere nearly as dark as some of the stuff disney have done i mean imagine snow white running through the forest and the trees are attacking her or or the kids turning into donkeys in pinocchio i mean there's not really much in here that that delves into to such a you know um, unremitting uh, sort of never regions of, of our psyche really it's, it, it does play with some some upsetting or challenging ideas or, or, or ideas that you know Freudians would have a, a field day with of course but I wouldn't say it's sort of lighter or frothier than than, than uh, most Disney films but nor would I say it's it's you know it, it plunges as, as deeply as some of them some of them do it is defiantly a, a Disney film and you, you can see that in a lot of the design work but but it's also clearly a Burton film <laughs> there's no getting away from it that's true okay so let, let, let's talk about what worked for you in the film, what what bits did you enjoy? Um, it's probably easier to list the things that I didn't because okay. there's a lot there's a lot less of them. Okay, um, nice. I, I like the anticipation for the foot and whacker, but then when it actually appeared, it was dreadful. Yep, I agree. It, it was it was it was the biggest bum note in the entire film. The choice of music was 
shockingly misjudged. Um, it, it's just a scene that fell apart, and the only way to sort of to sort of justify its position in any, any way is to say, well, it's nuts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, know I mean? you can kind of get away only, with anything, yeah. The only, the only grounds on which it sort of makes sense is if you use that old cop-out argument. <laughs> so um, we'll forget that bit. That really wasn't very pleasant. Um, there's some bits towards the end. There's, there's the confrontation with the Jabberwocky on the stairs in which the, the staging in the mise-en-scene is really quite flat and 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 derivative and, and even I mean dare I say workman like really. I think that could have been developed a little further before they shot any of it. Um so I think that was great. I think that um you know the, the stuff around it was great but I think that was was disappointing the, the the sequence on the stairs. I think that um there were some effects issues in places. The dimensionalization wasn't always great um particularly Crispin Glover's name yeah, yeah. parts um, sometimes looked like he was two-dimensional and, and, and the sort of... You know, one of the other big themes in the story is to do with physical change and, and, and the body as, a, and as an expression of the individual and malforming people and, and, and all these sort of ideas and conformist ideas of physical ideals and all these sort of fairly, you know, things that are fairly appropriate for, for, for a film about teenage girls, really. Um uh, so they've done things to a lot of the characters, and sometimes it works fantastically, and sometimes it doesn't. I think that the the Red Queen was a was a triumph, actually. I think she was she was a, an effects triumph. I think that the Knave of Hearts less so. Yeah, I actually said that exact same thing in my review. I thought the the work on Helen Bonham Carter's character was just uh, it, it was sublime. It was seamless. Like I I couldn't work out how they did it, and um, even though her character. I liked it a lot, and I thought it was a, it was, it was a nice uh, representation of it. But I kept thinking of, of Miranda Richardson in Blackadder too. I kept thinking this yeah. is just Queenie, and and that's fine if you don't necessarily know it. But um, it's if, if if that's your your only characteristic, then it can get a bit it can get a bit stale. But Crispin Glover, I have to agree with you. Um, I didn't it, his head bobbed around on that body. I didn't quite see why they just didn't have him looking normal. It would have you know it would have been. Well, exactly there's, there's many reasons to not have him looking normal, and I, I, I respect their ambition and their, their intent in doing it. I just wish that they, they pulled it off. I think that the White Rabbit um, in the opening sequences at the engagement party looked pretty goddamn dreadful, to be honest. Okay. Uh, I think by the time we got to Wonderland, he was obviously meshing a, a, a lot more. Um, so there are FX issues. Nothing that couldn't have been solved with an extra two or three months that would come for a million dollars, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, but really, you know... Are they major? No, I think overall it's a, it's a pretty good film that plays a few bum notes. And if you think that sitting down and listening to a great bit of music when occasionally one of the string snaps in the middle of a of a movement is okay, then 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 this is is for you. If if you're going to be uppity about it, then you know maybe you should 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 chill your heels and go and watch just you know some pure unbridled masterpieces instead. I think you're right. When one thing that I was um, that I've been talking to a lot of people about is uh, is Alice herself. Um, she I'm, I'm not sure quite what it was, but I didn't engage with her at all. I, I found that the moment um, at the end where she had the suit of armor on, I, I just felt it, it it didn't earn it enough. And and I'm not quite sure if um, if that's a problem with the with with the script or is it my There's stuff missing up front. There's stuff missing mm. up front. There's a lot of setup not done. I mean, when we get to that scene with the suit of armor and then out comes the the the, the suit. hatter in um oh, yeah. in a kilt. I mean, you know, it resonates off of that earlier line about I had a dream of women in trousers and men in skirts and all these sort of gender issues are bobbing up again and she's been inverted and she... Do you know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah. And, and all this stuff's going on. But it's not properly established early. You've, I, I kind of sort of... Tr- I can trace the lines, but sufficient work was not done early enough yeah. to really settle with the audience. And do you think that's, that's a problem? Because Alice, for me, you know, she, she it is her. She, she, you know, we are walking with her in Wonderland. Do you think that... Um, or did... did do you find that the, that she as a character and, and as an actress works for you in this? I, I think it's a problem, but I think it's a problem that's come out of them respecting the audience's <laughs> intelligence. So I can't, you can't really blame them. Do you know what I mean? They didn't want to spoon feed us and they thought they'd given us enough. Exactly. And, and it's just a little bit of a misjudgment. Um, I, I, you know, it's a shame. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible shame. But, you know, it's just a little, it's just a little off. I, I think I think she does fine. As an actress, I mean, I've spoken to people who were bowled away, but um, blown over, or mix and match as you will. Yeah, that's good. I I think that they, um, I I suspect they find her rather attractive and they may be a little biased. I think you could be right, yeah. 
Yeah, I think we know who we're talking about as well. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, okay, so I mean that that's your take on the film. One thing that I've been interested uh, to, to get your opinion on because it, it kind of it was a problem for me was the three D nature of it because my my eyes hurt, my 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 brain hurt after this, and I've seen a few three D films in, in my time and, and it's never been a problem for me before. I don't know if it's just because of the lighting; it looked quite dark to me. How, how did the three D experience work for you? Well, it was Dolby three D, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and it's rubbish. Um, the Dolby 3D system is just not good enough. Um, it actually does tint one of the lenses with a, with a darker tone. It's not just down to polarity. There are other factors in play there. So it does it does feed you incompatible visual information in your eyes. Which is just what you want, isn't it, when you're watching something like that? But did, um, do you think that, that the 3D work that was done you know, post-production, did, did, did that mean anything to you? Was it, was it worthwhile? I, I, of course it's worthwhile. I mean, there's some interesting stuff that they, there's some interesting stuff that they did. I mean, this is worthwhile as making the film in colour. I mean, we've been here, we've had this one, haven't we? Yeah. But, um, it, you know, is it the greatest 3D I've ever seen? No. Was it a mistake trying to upconvert from 2D? Yeah, probably. Um, did they pull it off better than I expected they did? Heck yeah. Mm. Um, but were there, were there bits where people looked like cardboard cutouts? Sure there were. Yeah, and that's gonna um, happen. You know, I respect, I respect it. I, I, I'd be very surprised if Clash of the Titans looked as good. Yeah, well, that that's going to be well, that's going to be a film that's out in I think uh, exactly a month's time, isn't it? Today, so okay, so rounding up, Alice, then um, you think uh, worth seeing? Um, maybe check your preconceptions at the door and just uh, and just enjoy, but be prepared to work for it. Well, absolutely, and everybody should check their preconceptions of the every film, shouldn't they, anyway? Why is this one any different? Exactly. Well, the thing is, it's uh, uh, just not to take it back to the British Library thing that you missed, Brendan, not to rub it in anyway, but they had a really great um, uh, screening of a restored version from the 1903 uh, version of Alice in Wonderland, which is, uh, if you haven't seen it or if you are interested, then check it uh, out, hey, you guys, because we've been allowed to embed that in my write-up of the thing, and it's, um, it's really fantastic, and you can see how proud they are of the special effects, um, in 1903, so it's, it's it's a nice you know companion piece, nice, nice kind of bookend uh, to see the Tim Burton film with. So, okay. And just to say one more thing about yeah. Alice, if you haven't seen Jan Schwankmeier's film Alice, go now see that too. I, I mean, there have been several good versions of Alice, but I think the Miller and the Schwankmeier ones are essential, and I think we can now actually add Burton to that list. Okay, interesting. Well, that's certainly um, that's certainly a good recommendation then. Um, Alice is out next week, fifth uh, of fifth uh, of March. So uh, go and check it out if you so fancy. You can now see it anywhere, which is uh, which is a good thing. Um, Brendan, there's one film that did come out today here in the UK, uh, which I haven't had a chance to see yet, but I know you wanted to just say a few words on it. Micmacs, it's splendid. Um, I'd go as far as saying it's Jean-Pierre Jeunet's greatest film to date. And I know a lot of people love Amelie and a lot of people love Delicatessen. And there's certainly people out there who love only City of Lost Children and don't like any of his other films. But I think this is his greatest work to date. It's not perfect. But it feels like watching a wonderful magic show. And it feels like watching a wonderful magic show in which they let you in on how the trick was done afterwards. But it's not quite the whole truth. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, it's it's splendidly inventive. I mean, it's in the tradition of Tati, even a little of Méliès. It certainly sits with some contemporary French filmmakers. I mean, you know, there's a, a, a Gondry vibe to some moments, but most of all, it's clearly like the work of uh, um, Mr. Terence Vance Gilliam, and that's never a bad thing. There are some direct quotes from his film Brazil in there, right? Direct visual shots lifted. You're kidding, um, okay. Beautiful homage. But Micmax is a film that feels like you're watching an entertainment, a trifle, a, a champagne bubble of joy. And then at the end, when you least expect it, bang. There's a very well-earned but unexpected emotional punch. Okay, uh, that's okay. Well, you've sold it to me. I mean, I was kind of sold anyway, but but that sounds just perfect. I mean, I uh, out of the people that you mentioned earlier, I found Jeanette through City of Lost Children. I happened to stumble upon it when I was um, just looking for something to go and see, and I sat in the cinema pretty much alone and was just mesmerised by the whole thing. And I did, and it instantly it made me think of Gilliam, and it made me think of you know people that I, that I really loved. But I fell in love with that. And then it was Delicatessen, and then it was. Um, uh, Alien Resurrection, not so much, but you know, Amelie as well. Oh, but... it's a corker. 
why don't people like that film? What, what Alien Resurrection? Um, there's a bit of bad design work on the alien at the end, but other than that, it's a cracking picture. You see, I was really, really looking forward to seeing Alien Resurrection, not to divert from Micmacs, but I, it's always had a soft spot for me uh, because of, of, of who it was directed by. But also, I happened to, to think that it was... Um, it had a real element of fun to it, um, which I think, you know, was totally in, in opposition to, to Finch's version. So, um, but I think that we're in a, a, a vast minority there, I have to say. But it's, it's cracking. People just need to know, you know, what take a fresh run at it. People just need to know to take a fresh run at it, I think. It's fantastic. There's these people on this great, vast, anti-creationist arc, and they're struggling with these issues. It's brilliant on the subject of you know the sort of right to life and abortion issues it's fantastic on on assisted living sort of thinking redolent in in powerful and and surprising imagery connecting to you know abortion and and so on it's very surprising and that moment at the end when um call well towards the end in the last act where call logs onto the computer and instead of it being mother the sort of um um, you know freud-infused corporate uh, trickster computer from the earlier films. It's it's located in the chapel and it's called Father. Yeah. Call logs on. She logs on and her first line is God is dead. And it, it just brings you right to right to what Joss Whedon and uh, w- was getting at. And he's not pleased with where it's been handled because I think he, I think for some people Jeunet's style is very up in the foreground and and they they're not connecting so much to 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 the meat and, and potatoes of the thing but it's like well, that's only because the style's so so dazzling and, and maybe even a little ahead of the times if we go back and watch it now i think we'll be a little more comfortable with 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 the visual approach and we'll actually take on board the story the narrative the subtext the characters a little better you see now that's actually really really nice to hear because i, I haven't heard many people uh, defend or rather champion and celebrate alien resurrection enough so um i appreciate that but to bring it back to micmacs um it's out in the uk now i'm not sure in terms of how big a, or how wide a release it's got but uh, i'm certainly going to be uh, be first in line to go and see it so thank fairly you for... wide, fairly wide release john actually because the uk film council have actually subsidized its rollout well there you go that's perfect then so if you're near a cinema stop listening and go out and see it i'm sure you won't be disappointed so that's it for another hey you guys mouth off podcast thanks very much for listening uh, remember you can subscribe in itunes to this podcast or you can download it from the site www.heyyouguys.co.uk if you're interested in following us on twitter uh, we are twitter.com forward slash hey you guys blog um, so you can keep up to date with everything that we do there to play us out tonight we are going to be um, having a song from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and this is because Lionel Jeffries died last week at uh, the age of 83 uh, he was well known to a lot of people who knew the, uh, the film Chitty Chitty Bang Bang as uh, Grandpa Potts he uh, it was a bit of an iconic performance he was also an uh, accomplished writer and director um, one of the films you may know that he directed was The Railway Children with Jenny Agatha, which is a kind of a classic. Um, he also did that I didn't know at the time, uh, was The Water Babies, which is a really, really wonderful um, mixture of, uh, of live action and, uh, and animation, um, which was, out, I believe, in the late 70s. It has James Mason in it, and it's pretty haunting, and it's uh, one of my favourites. So um, he was uh, he was the director behind that. Um, this is a song that I'm sure you'll know well. Um, just to say uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again soon. The bush, bush, the travelling life, the travelling life for me. First cabin and captain, same regal company. When I'm at the helm, the world's my realm, and I do it stylishly. Pour out, starboard, ho, ho, to the capital. What do we do now? Stop swimming! I don't swim! Let's start drowning! P-O-S-H-P-O-S-H-P-O-S-H-P-O-S-H-P-O-S-H-P-O-S-H-P-O-S-H-P-O-S-H-P-O-S-H-P-O-S-H-P-O-S-H-P-O-S-H-